As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. And I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show, saying hi as we settle in for the final part of our six-part series, Harnessing Resilience. Warwick and I will unpack this week what we found to be the most insightful and inspirational takeaways from the five remarkable guests we've spoken to the last month and a half. So sit back, dial in, and learn some best practices in the art and science of moving beyond your crucible. So you may ask yourself, listener, why did we decide to talk about resilience? One of the things I said at the outset uh, in the video version of the, the show is that without resilience, you really don't have a shot at bouncing back from your crucible. It's so critical to moving beyond your crucible that you can't really talk about crucibles without talking about resilience at some point, unless you want to talk about just staying in your crucibles. And one of the things, Warwick, and I think this is true, pretty much every guest we've had on the show, we've had more than 75, 70, 75 guests so far. Is it fair to say that every guest has a resilience story or a, or a resilience shading to their story as they move beyond their crucible? Yeah, absolutely, Gary. I mean, life is tough and we've had 70 plus guests with every kind of crucible from uh, physical to abuse to business failure. And really, we often talk a lot in crucible leadership that when you go through a crucible uh, setback and failure that can be devastating and painful, typically is, is you have a choice to make. Am I going to just hide under the covers and just give up for the rest of my life, 20, 30, 50 years? Or am I going to choose to persevere and um, you know, really try to bounce back? That requires a huge amount of, of resilience to decide to not give up on life and move forward in, in any direction. It's, um, it's, life is, is tough. And so without resilience, you probably stay under the covers and you don't make the choice to try to bounce back and get move beyond your crucible. Without resilience, you're not moving beyond your crucible at all. 
your stock. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, we talk a lot at the start of the show sometimes about the reason why we talk about crucibles. We don't talk about them, I say, so that we can build a virtual campfire and sit around and swap war stories and feel bad. We talk about it to offer hope and healing. And helping people understand how individuals have harnessed uh, resilience in their lives, in their crucibles, and also what the science says about it, I think has offered a great perspective. Where some of this stuff comes from, listener, where you'll you'll be able to revisit some of what we're going to talk about here is there's a blog that is live now on the Crucible Leadership website. The blog is titled What Resilience Looks Like and How to Build It. That blog is at crucibleleadership.com right now. And you'll see, you'll be able to read some more about some of the things that we're going to talk about. But what what we had as we were coming to, and I wrote that blog because Warwick is way too busy right now, readying the release of his book, Crucible Leadership, Embrace Your Trials to Lead a Life of Significance, which is out on October 19th. So I stepped in. I was honored to write the blog about kind of what we've been talking about on the podcast. And one of the things that we did is we surveyed, there's, there's more than five hours of content in the, fi- in the first five episodes. This is the sixth episode, as I said. In that five hours of content, there was all kinds of of insightful things said about what it takes to harness resilience. We tried to pull one or two things from each guest and really shine a spotlight on that because we think those are the key learnings of what this series has brought to the table. So we will start with Stacy Kopass. Stacy Kopass was our first guest week one. And Stacy, you may remember, was injured in a diving accident when she was 12. And that diving accident left her a quadriplegic. She described what followed as not being pretty. She lived life aimlessly. She lived life hopelessly. She lived life listlessly. She had some drug issues. Um, She had some depression. She just wasn't really, in her teen years, uh, life didn't hold much hope for Stacy Kopass. Uh, she was caught up in the what ifs and the why me's of what her crucible did. And then one day she decided she couldn't feel bad about something she was grateful for. And she began to view her accident as a gift. And one of the things she said, and I'd love to get your reaction to this work. One of the things she said in our episode when she talked about resilience was this, resilience is a skill that can be learned just like building muscle in the gym. How do you react to that? I mean, that's just, it's so true. I think so much of leadership and life is sort of the inner game, is the inner inequalities of being resilient, of, uh, you know, watching your, your, your mindset and the way you think. It's, it's so critical. So, you know, with, with Stacy, um, she had to reframe what she went through. A lot of it was, you know, uh, she's an Australian. She was dived into an two Australians, pool. <laughs> and there's two Australians in this series, by the way, as yeah, usual. Where I mean, we're, we're favoring the Aussies. Yeah, you know, who knew? I wonder why that happens. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's interesting is her mom told her, you know, Stacy, don't dive into that pool. It's an above ground pool, and like a lot of kids, just ignored her parents. So she had to live with the fact that it was her fault. She was in a wheelchair because of her own, you know, mistake in her youth. Now, it's easy to say, oh, she's just 12. 
but she had a hard time letting that go. So she had to get to the point where rather than I'm an idiot, why did I do that? You know, why me? And get to the point where she got to, how can I use what I went through in service of others? And she now is a resilience coach and author, speaker. But when she said that she viewed what she went through as a gift, I mean, that's an astonishing statement to view being uh, paralyzed, quadriplegic as a gift. And you might say, I, I can't, that makes no sense. That's apparent, that's wrong. But I think it's a mindset is this gives her a platform to help others. And so by, right. re, by and it's funny, you know, we chatted later with Craig Dowden that we'll get to, and he talked about that whole reframing and why that's so important. But she's such a stunning example of reframing what she went through to help her um, think of it differently and serve others. And so it's that reframing and that mental gymnastics in the literal right. sense of that word that has enabled her to be resilient. It's that mindset shift in Stacy that is the key to her resilience and so that she could stop with the destructive behaviors and uh, move in a new direction. It's just astonishing what she's done and, and how she views what she, you know, what she's doing now and the change. And it, and it's interesting. There's something else that she said that that dovetails or is a is sort of an an on ramp into this part of what she said because when she said her accident and the injury that came with it was a gift, she's not talking about being paralyzed was a gift. She's not saying that. And we've had other guests who've talked about those things, about how their their uh, physical disabilities, what they've gone through, their physical ailments, accidents, traumas, and tragedies, they've talked about them as gifts. They're not talking about the physical ramifications. What Stacy said, it wasn't because the accident left her paralyzed that led her to view it as a gift. It's that the accident presented her with opportunities she almost certainly would not have had without her injury. And I think that without doing deep dive research on it right now, I think that's probably true for all the guests we had who, when they talk about their crucibles, they see something in them where they learn something. And I know that's true, Warwick, for your own crucible. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking that as you were saying that, there's no question. I mean, I've had to do plenty of soul searching, listening to these guests in my own life and just the concept of, of a gift. I mean, what I went through losing a 150-year-old $2 billion company, uh, you know, after a $2 billion takeover, to view that, I almost, listening to folks like Stacy say, well, in some ways it was a gift, in some ways it was a blessing. Was it painful? Would I rather have not gone through that pain? Of course. Nobody wants to go through their crucible pain, but yet it gave me a platform to talk about and identify and empathize with um, other people about setbacks and failures and they're painful and try to help others get beyond them and lead productive lives, lives of significance, as we call them, lives on purpose dedicated to serving others. Well, what I do now in my book that comes out in October, none of that would have happened without the, the pain of the crucible. So amidst the pain, there was a blessing and a gift there, which I don't know, before this series, what I've quite used those words, I don't know, but mm. it's making me think a lot about it now. You know? right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's true. And that's a big statement to make about the series that we're concluding here. Uh, you've been the host of all 80 
five episodes that came before. Um, and for you to say that listening to the guests and the concentration of having guests talking about resilience and harnessing resilience led to you changing the way you deal with your own crucible or how you think about your own crucible. I mean, you're the founder of Crucible Leadership. So that that's a pretty good endorsement of the series as a whole, I think. Yeah. And I think one of the other things it says is, you know, we all want to be lifelong learners. You know, I might have had some inklings. Yeah, some good came out of the takeover. I just don't think I would have said blessing or gift. So, um, you know, listening to, to people in this series, we can learn a lot that helps us in our lives. It's helped. I mean, every single guest we've had has said something that I found profound and has helped me. So there's no question. Speaking of that, you're you are doing, by the way, you are doing a remarkable job <laughs> at playing me in this thing. I'm doing a terrible job at playing you, I think, but you're doing a remarkable job at playing the co-host here because that leads me to the, you know, we have identified, uh, I, I said one of the quotes that, that Stacy said in her episode, and we identified some other things that they said that that are really insightful and, and encouraging and inspiring. And some of them we're going to actually play throughout this episode. And we're not going to, I'm not going to shine a spotlight and say, we're going to play a clip now on all of them. But based on what you just said, I think it's important primarily because Stacy didn't actually say what we're about mm -hmm. to play. I said it. Uh, and the reason that I said it is it was so inspiring. And she put it in the form we have all guests fill out in advance that I just got impatient while we were talking to her and I blurted it out. But here, we'll play what I said based on what she said. It's her perspective, my mouth. But listen to this idea of how a crucible, a setback, a failure, use it like, she says, like a trampoline. Listen to why she says that is the case. There are a couple things I love in your book. This, I've just decided, is the thing I love most about what you write. And you say this, and listener, get a pen out, get a pencil out, get chalk out, you know, draw it in chocolate on something. But you wrote this. Another way to visualize this is to think of jumping on a trampoline. The lower down it goes, the higher up you are launched. That is some powerful insight into what resilience really allows you to do. And that idea that, that we were talking about there, Warwick, about you know your own pain is your own pain, your worst experience is your worst, don't compare, right? The lower down you go, that you get to determine that, but you also get to determine as you practice resilience, how high you go. And I think that's the example that both of you set and hopefully our listeners hear that and draw hope from that. Is that not one of the most profound things you've heard, simple and profound things you've heard in our time hosting this show? Absolutely, Gary. I mean, the idea that the lower down you go, the higher you get lost, I mean, I mean, that is positive thinking. And it's, you know, it's just the idea that the depth of your pain can fuel such empathy, passion, and a desire to, uh, to help others. You know, it's sort of like for every, I mean, I'm not a physicist, but for every, you know, action, there's a reaction, you know. Um, so it's almost like for every negative, maybe there can be a positive if you look at it that way. And, and that's just a profound statement. And, sh and she's living that with her speaking and coaching and um, 
really her desire to help other people, uh, other people with uh, with injuries. I mean, she's just having an enormous impact on uh, on so many people. But it's a stunning thing to say: the lower down you go, the higher you get launched. I mean, yeah. Again, that's everybody in this series would win an Olympic gold medal for resilience, but also shift in mindset. Yeah. I mean, that is sure. just, um, as would pretty much all of our guests on the podcast we've ever had. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, she's an amazing person. So I've not told you this, uh, Warwick. I'm going to surprise you right here live. So one of the things I did when we started to talk about doing a series on resilience is I went online and I found the 50 best resilience quotes that are out there. So as we mm -hmm. move from one guest and their insights to another, I'm going to throw out a random quote I pull out of this and just get your reaction to it about resilience. Here's something that Robert F. Kennedy said about resilience. And I want you to tell our listeners your reaction. Robert F. Kennedy said this, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. You know, we've had a, a number of, at least at least one other person in the series uh, talk about that. I think um, Lucy Westlake gets into that a bit. But yeah, you know, you've got to be willing to... Um, to fail, you've got to be willing for that bold achievement. I'm not going to remember the exact quote, but it reminds me of Teddy Roosevelt that has this famous quote that Brené Brown talks a lot about of, you know, talking about the man in the arena that's, you know, willing to to go at it and 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 to dare greatly, I think is his, is his words. It's a similar concept. And, um, you know, part of being resilient is um, is being willing to fail, willing to go outside your comfort zone, in a cause mm -hmm. of something beyond yourself. You know, all of these people that we've had, uh, we've had were, they believe, you know, leaders in history, whether it's Abraham Lincoln or so many others, they were willing to fight for a cause beyond themselves where failure was a distinct possibility. But, you know, in service of humanity and, and, and um, what they thought was worthwhile, they were willing to dare greatly to even fail greatly and so that's that's part of what's what's needed it's not for the timid uh, resilience but you've got to be willing you you know if you're not willing to fail you'll never succeed well said well said uh our next guest we'll move on we'll turn the page to our next guest who also happens to be our next australian guest in the uh in the harnessing resilience uh, uh series uh, on Beyond the Crucible. That was Katie Folks. And it was interesting. You mentioned a few beats back, Warwick. You mentioned something about gold medal uh, winners in, in harnessing resilience. And Katie Folks is someone who actually was in the Olympics uh, on two occasions. And the the crucible that she explained with us um, came from, uh, I believe it was her second trip to the Olympics. It was in Athens, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah she was it. in 2004, she was, and help me out with some of the details of this. She was on the rowing team. So maybe you can tell the story better than me of kind of what happened with, with Katie Folks. So Katie Folks was the cox of the Australian rowing crew, a rowing team, uh, you know, eight in the 2004 Olympics. And they made it into the final. They came out of the blocks. They were going super fast. They, they felt like they really had a shot of meddling. And then about partway through the race, maybe halfway, one of the women in the boat just stopped rowing. Mm. And when one person stops rowing and lies down, 
the person that's next to her, behind her, I'm guessing, can't row either. So that takes two out of eight, you know, out of the boat from rowing. And so needless to say, they finished last. You know, to stop rowing in the middle of a race was stunning. And that the challenge was there was no good explanation. There wasn't equipment failure. It wasn't injury. There was nothing that, you know, their public relations team could say, oh, you know, it was unfortunate, but there's no easy but. And so, uh, but you know, and it's not something that um, Katie could really talk about because it's not her story to get into why this, um, you know, other woman in the boat stopped rowing. So, and it's important to say, let me stop here just for a second. It's important to say before you go on to say that the crucible for her wasn't losing the race, right? That's fair right. to say. The crucible, sure. what she went through, the difficult thing that she went through was not that they didn't win Olympic gold. What was the crucible was what was what? It was the condemnation in the Australian press, as I often say. Good word. You know, uh, U.S. press isn't easy, but Australian press is at another level, you know, especially when it comes to things like this. Australians love sports. And so, you know, this poor woman, she was called all sorts of names in the press. Even the then Prime Minister of Australia called that crew and what happened un-Australian. Yeah, that's, that's just that, crazy to that's me. As, that's that's crazy. as bad a thing as you can ever be called in Australia as un-Australian, mm. you know, uh, because it's this huge ethos of what it means to be uh, Australian. It was a horrendous crucible in that there was no easy way out of that one. There was no right. easy way to rehabilitate your reputation. Even though Katie did nothing, she was part of that boat that went through this horrendous crucible. Yeah, and yet... She found a way to do it because we, you know, have featured her not only because we featured her on the Harnessing Resilience series, but also because she learned some things in moving through her own crucible that led her to study uh, resilience, that led her to see scientifically, research-wise, what does it mean to harness resilience? And 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 for me in this series, her comments were the first real big eye-opening moment I had. I was one of those people who thought resilience is a matter of digging down deep inside. The deeper you can dig, you know, grit it out, tough it out, dig deep, find the, the, the answer within. And what she discovered, both what she went through and then what the science backed up, is that that's only part of the resilience equation, digging down, digging deep. It's also casting wide. It's going and, and, and harnessing the resources you have around you. Here's the quote that she gave us that's included in the blog that's on crucibleleadership.com. Well, I've got these research opportunities. This is really interesting. It's showing me that something like resilience, as an example, we simplify, and it, you know, showed parallels to my rowing experience here. We simplify these complex events. We tell someone just to be more resilient. We sometimes point the finger at people and say they're not resilient. And it was all very simple. And as I started doing this research and thinking about my own experiences when I'm resilient to some things, not to others, resilient at some times, not at other times, I I was fortunate enough to work with a a gentleman called Dr. Michael Kavanagh at Sydney Uni who had this new definition of resilience, which is really exploring 
what is in our, and I'm going to use dorky language for a second, what's in our surrounding systems, what's around us that helps us be resilient. And so the research is showing that if you have access to the resources you need to meet the challenge you're facing, you'll be more resilient. It's kind of obvious, right? That blew me away. What was your reaction when you heard her say that? It's okay to ask for help. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. I would say it's a sign of strength, a sign of courage. And it's a sign of resilience. It's a sign of harnessing resilience. Right, absolutely. You know, it's rare that you will get through a crucible without help. You know, and you know, bouncing back yourself, it's very, very hard. So she realized it's so it was important for her and for others to get help. Uh, before we turn the page to the next guest, who's not Australian this time, by the <laughs> way, the next guest we're going to talk about, let me throw another random resilience quote at you, Warwick. This is from Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison said this, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is to always try just one more time. What do you think? You know, the amazing thing is I feel like many, if not all of them, people in our, in our podcast resilience series have said that. It's basically failure is not trying. You know, it's not failure. I mean, Lucy Westlake, Heather Camp may have indeed mentioned that too. It's the notion that if you do your level best at something, that's not failing. Right. That, again, is something that, I don't know if I heard that or not, but it's it's such a profound, because then... You know, so long as you do your best, that's not failing. You've tried, you know. Right. So by reframing, because often the, the F word, the failure word makes you think, oh, I don't want to try because I might fail, you know, and that's going to hurt my identity. But if you say, look, it's not really failing if you've tried your best. You're entering in, into the arena, as, you know, uh, Robert Kennedy and uh, Teddy Roosevelt said. So by all means, entering the arena is not failing. Our next guest that we want to talk about, uh, to me was, they're all remarkable. Her story was most remarkable to me because there was video evidence of it. And that is Heather Camp. Uh, Heather Camp was in college. It was in 2008. Um, she was uh, a runner. She was in the Big Ten Championships running the 600 meters. 600 meters is a three lap race over a 200 meter track. And she was, you know, she had a lot of stuff. She told us she she ran like two other races that day. So she was kind of holding back in the first two laps. And she was ready to really turn the burners on for the third lap. And she tripped and fell. And she didn't just, as she put, as she put it, it isn't like my hands just touched the track. I, she f fell and skidded across the track. And we have a clip that we that we showed with the episode on our social media. You can find it. Uh, of both Heather talking about that incident and her actually falling and what happened next. And why that was so remarkable is that she got up, the the other runners had, you know, what, six, seven body lengths ahead of her, and she ended up in the last 200 meters sprinting and winning her heat. I mean, what was your reaction when you saw that video? When I showed you that video, uh, when we were thinking of have, having her on, what did you think? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, for anybody that's familiar with running, you know, at least in that indoor track, you're running as a pack, in her case, with some other women. And I think somebody behind it caught, caught her heel, you know, maybe more than one person. It was just, you know, it's a tight bunch of people. And she fell flat on her stomach. 
I mean, she didn't even realize how bad it was until I, you know, dad showed her the video and she got, got up and somehow came back and won. I mean, it's just like out of the movies. I mean, it's like, yeah. how does that happen? It was, it was remarkable for, um, just whether she'd won or not for her not giving up and says, okay, I'm going to try and win this thing. And, and she did, it was, it was just, that video is stunning. It's like, how, how can that be possible? How can you do that? It was amazing. And the thing that she said in the show, I mean, she's very matter of fact about him. My favorite part about that interview was that video that we just discussed that you can see in our social media on Facebook at Crucible Leadership and at LinkedIn for Warwick. You can see the video. It's been viewed by tens of millions of people. And when she was talking to us about it, she said something like, you know, in that video that's been viewed by, I don't know, like six million people, she didn't even know. That tells you everything that you need to know about the character of Heather Camp is that she's not, she doesn't have like a tally board about how many millions of people have watched her remarkable feat. She, that's not the thing that's important to her. And nor was just never give up the message, even though that's the title on a lot of the videos that you'll find out there on the internet of, of her race, it'll be never give up. Um, she, she, said it's never give up and an add to it. And really her add, the learning she draws from that was have a plan. What, what she said fueled her resilience in that moment was she had a plan for that race and the plan did not include falling and not finishing. And she talks about how her coach said, even if you only get one point, that's one point that helps your team. And you get one point if you finish. You get zero points if you don't. So she was when she got up, she wasn't never quitting just to never quit. She was never quitting because she wanted her team to win. She wanted, as she said later, significance is success shared. She wanted significance. She wanted success to be shared with her teammates by going through and winning that race. And the other th thing that she said that sort of is a great takeaway for a series on harnessing resilience was this. For me, it's like never give up because you never know when your greatest obstacle becomes your greatest opportunity to do things you never imagined you could. Because I would never have pictured that I could have gotten up with a 200 meters to go in a sprint race and win. But that gave me so much confidence going into the Olympic trials that summer and to follow through in the rest of my professional career to believe that I have this gear somewhere within me that I might need at some point again and it could be another magical moment like that. I think every guest we've ever had on has had that experience too. I mean, that's so true. Yeah, just I think of my own life and the whole takeover the greatest obstacle become your greatest opportunity. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've chat to people today, yesterday, and when I say, talk about, you know, the losing $2 billion, which is a lot of money, even in the US, I'm willing to be vulnerable about it, which I am, because it's, you know, I want to help people and it's vulnerability for a purpose. And I'm willing to be open about it and say, yep, I screwed up and made some big mistakes. People tend not to talk about failure, uh, business failure in particular, and they don't tend to do it in an open, vulnerable way. So that's my that's my specific way of how my greatest op obstacle has become my greatest opportunity. It's not like a uh, a speech or a message I was looking to have, you know. Right. But whether you think it's God or some sovereign power somewhere, I guess that was the path that's been laid out. And if that can help people, then I'm happy to do it. But I wouldn't have had that opportunity without that obstacle. So yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with um, 
uh, with Heather's uh, viewpoint. It's profound. And it is, uh, you know, you can almost mash up her comment here with Stacey Kopass's first comment that we talked about. And you could say, you never know when your greatest obstacle will become your greatest opportunity and your greatest gift. Um, yeah. You can mash those things up because it's, it's, it's again, to your point, very, very astutely made. It's a mindset shift. It's, it's the mindset shift to what was, I think, remarkable about what Heather did in that race was that her mindset shift happened in an instant. A lot of times it takes days, weeks, months, years, decades to get over beyond our crucibles. It took her a few seconds uh, to get over that one crucible. And there's video evidence of it. And I think that's what makes it so evocative. The um, All right, here's my random quote that I'm going to throw at you before we move on to our next person. You're going to love this one, Warren, because I know you love, you're a big fan of this person. Winston Churchill said this, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah, that's uh, boy, that's that's pretty amazing. I think of um, World War II, and um, I think it's probably his way of saying when things are at its darkest, which it was in 1940 uh, for Britain, uh, America hadn't entered the war yet. It was pre uh, Pearl Harbor. Uh, Germany had conquered all of Europe, in, including uh, France. Battle of Britain was happening. They were vying for dominance over the skies. It seemed like invasion of Britain was likely. I guess maybe he viewed that time. It was, you know, a, a almost literal living hell at the time for Britain. But you keep going. You just don't give up. And, you know, he gave that, you know, probably, I guess you could say maybe the most famous speech on resilience that any leader has ever given. Right. In which he said, you know, uh, you know, we will never give up. We will never give up. We will fight them on the landing grounds. We will fight them in the villages, on the streets, in the countryside, in the cities, you know. Um, and even if they uh, would overwhelm us back when Britain had an empire, our Commonwealth countries will come to our rescue. And, you know, it was like, talk about power of right. positive thinking. You know, it's, right. um, we are never giving up no matter what. And that galvanized the whole British people of, uh, yeah, we're not giving up, even though life couldn't have looked more dark than it was. So, yeah, it's a great quote. And, uh, yeah, he was about, he, he would win the all-time, potentially all-time Olympic gold medal for resilience. I mean, yeah, he, Lincoln is up there, definitely. But Lincoln and Churchill, amazing. Yeah, they were both um, um, legendary harnessers of resilience to use the title of our series. Speaking of legendary harnessers of resilience, our next guest was Lucy Westlake. And for me, Lucy was, and I noticed this when we were doing the, the videos snippets of the best bits from the show, is there's just, she's a 17 year old girl and she's just so sweet and charming. And Lucy's claim to fame, if you can believe this listener, is, by age 13, she was in the position to have ascended the highest peak in every U.S. state. So at age 13, she'd done 49 states, and she was trying to ascend uh, Denali in Alaska. And that's when her crucible moment hit, and she needed to harness her resilience. What happened there... and. and 
it's amazing that at age 13, she spent 20 days, she and her dad, trying to find a way up to the top of the mountain. They were up at high camp, she called it. And they were trying for 20 days to find a way around this, do that. It was bad weather. Then some things happened with their guides that, that, uh, that made it impossible to try the ascent. And it wasn't until 20 days had passed that she decided, she and her dad decided they weren't going to be able to do it on this attempt. So she wasn't going to hit the peak. But one of the things she said to us in that conversation was at that moment on like day 19, trying to get up the, the highest peak, you know, 20 some thousand feet at the top of Denali, 19 days of just living through hunger and tiredness and cold. She said, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. And I'm thinking, you've been there for 20 days. I would have said that maybe after a day if I even got there. But I mean, you've already been fighting for a long time. That's the kind of spunk and spirit that she brought to it. And she said this to us, which I'd love to get your take on because it's a, it's in the same zip code of what we've been talking about. Lucy said this, failure is inevitable. It's how you react to it that matters. If someone just quit after the first failure, if they're like, oh, that, that defines me. That's, uh, I'm not good at this sport or at this job or at this role, then you really never reach your full potential in that because um, just like quitting after one failure, failure is gonna happen no matter how good or bad you are. And I think, I mean, I definitely learned the most um, when I failed. Uh, that's when I reflect the most on it. Like when I win, I'm just like, okay, good job, well done. But when I fail at something, that's really when I look at what I'm doing more closely and can improve uh, improve based upon those those reflections. So I'd say, yeah, failure is a great learning tool. It is. I mean, in this case, it wasn't really her fault. They had some guides that were with her that were called away from some other um, uh, you know accident, difficult situation they had to deal with. So it wasn't like she did anything wrong or lack of planning or lack of, I don't know quite what, but yet she still viewed it as a failure, you know, she was, now for most people, age 13, not being able to climb all 50 peaks in the US doesn't seem like a big failure. But for her, she's a driven person. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was devastating. She was on, you know, she was almost had reached the pinnacle of uh, what she was trying to achieve, you know, literally and, and, figure, and figuratively. And yet she failed. Well, you know, if you're going to go for uh bold adventures, bold tasks, you know, just um, go for things that are not easy. I mean, most things worth having are not easy to obtain. Otherwise, you wouldn't value them that much. Yeah, it was disappointing, but she wasn't going to give up. She ended up trying again uh, a lot of years later, and she finally made it. But it's... Yeah, um, well, uh, four years later, when she was 17, just this past summer, yeah. um, she and her dad scaled Denali, and she did become the, the youngest female ever to hike all 50 highest peaks in the U.S. But she wasn't going to say, okay, I'm not doing that again, or it's too hard, and what happens if that happens again? You know, we don't have the right help, and it didn't go perfectly this last time, but, you know, they got it done, and she's, she's not afraid of failing. That's one of the big lessons from Lucy Westlake. She, she is not afraid. She's not afraid to fail. And that just yeah, does not hold her back. She told us, one of the many things she told us that was just wise beyond her years, not to be insulting, but true. She's a 17-year-old young lady. 
Uh, failure is a great learning tool is one of the things she said to us. And another thing that she said to us that I think is tied with Stacy Kopass talking about the trampoline effect of a crucible. The, the farther down you go, the higher up you can launch. Lucy said this when you asked her at the very outset of the show. And it was like, it was one of those things we're trying to get warmed up. It's the start of the show. And you're like, hey, Lucy, um, how would you define uh, resilience? And this is what she said to you at the time. And I think both of our, I don't remember seeing it, but I, it, it felt like both of us went, wow. Or we might've actually said, wow. But she said this to that question. The best way to build resilience is to try something. I mean, that's a mic drop moment in the, in the pantheon of harnessing resilience, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I'm a reflective person, so I tend to think, reflect, think, reflect again before doing things. So I do get things done, but I tend not to, other than what I jokingly say, make $2 billion takeovers, um, I tend to think very carefully before I do anything, especially now. Uh, but just this idea that of just trying of just trying something, uh, being willing to say yes, you said in another comment. You know, people who succeed, as we keep saying in this series on resilience, they're willing to fail, you know? And being willing to fail means you've, you've got to try things. I mean, I think of, uh, you know, Thomas Edison, who we mentioned, he tried like a thousand different filaments before he found, I don't know, it was like cotton with, I don't know what, some uh, substance on it, uh, for the filament for the light bulb. Well, that was probably 999 failures before he reached success. Okay. But, you know, he wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't have the light bulb if he said, if he tried 100 filaments and said, like, I'm giving up. This is all too right. hard. Forget about he it. He did not, like Lucy, he did not give up without a fight. Indeed. Indeed. I've got one more quote before we move on to our next guest. Here's this quote Great leaders keep going, they never give up. Their crucible experiences are never the end of their stories. They learn from and leverage them as opportunities to write a new chapter of their stories. Oh, wait, I didn't say who said that. <laughs> who said that is Warwick Fairfax, author of Crucible Leadership, Embrace Your Trials to Lead a Life of Significance. That's so important, right? I say that not jokingly. I say that you wrote an entire chapter about the importance of resilience and perseverance. So clearly, this is something that you've been thinking on for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of my highest values. It's funny. In, in the book, I write about a lot of things I'm really poor at. Perseverance or resilience It's actually one of the areas I'm, I'm actually okay in. But yeah, I think I used the example of Churchill in that chapter on perseverance. And we just talked about World War II. Well, in the 1930s, he was out of power, in part through his own injudicious political statements and uh, actions that angered his own party. So as Hitler and Nazi Germany was uh, rearming and you know, posing a great threat, uh, a bit like Don Quixote sort of uh, you know, uh, chasing at windmills, he kept saying to the British people uh, and, and the public, you know, you've got to watch out for Hitler and Nazi Germany. You've got to rearm. And everybody said, oh, you know, there's old Winston, you know, warmonger. And what does he know? And that had to have been frustrating. Did he give up? No. What were the chances of him being prime minister at that point? Really slim. You know, he was getting older. Uh, his party, which you know, probably thought of him as brilliant, but a bit of a pain in the neck. Uh, <laughs> but somehow his time came when, you know, it's 1940 and the war's on. 
who 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 are you going to call? You're going to call Winston Churchill, but in that he could have easily given up in the 1930s. Since look, this is all too hard. We're probably going to be conquered by Germany. Every these other politicians, it's too stupid to listen to me. He didn't give up, and it would have been easy to back in those days. It was really really tough. So uh, yeah, just this idea of as you're saying, great leaders. Whether it's Lincoln I didn't or Churchill, say it. you said it. I didn't say it. You said it. You wrote it. <laughs> Fair point. As you were reading what I said, <laughs> but they don't give up. That is one of the hallmarks of great leaders. They are resilient. Think of a great leader. I, I can't think of any of them that don't have, you know, superhuman qualities of resilience. You know, almost they all do. And the beautiful part of this conversation now as the captain turns on the fasten seatbelt sign and it's getting time we're going to talk about our final guest in the harnessing resilience series we did this on purpose our first four guests were individuals who went through crucibles themselves and had to harness resilience and talked about how they did it our final guest is dr craig dowden and dr dowden studies resilience he studies the science around resilience and we talked to him specifically last because we wanted to get a big picture look at okay we we get it anecdotally what leads to resilience but what does the science say leads to resilience and he said some just truly fascinating things. Uh, I'll start with this one. Much like Katie Folk said, kind of experientially, and then also from research, harnessing resilience is really a two-part process. And here's how Craig Dowden described it. First, it's finding our way back to baseline, where we were before the crucible struck. Second, charting a course to move beyond that, to not merely bounce back but bounce forward. That to me was one of the, that combined with what Katie said about dig deep, reach wide is probably what I'll take away from this series most. What was your uh, response to, to Craig saying that? Yeah, I mean, it's really profound. And it's not just merely getting back to baseline. And that's certainly the first step. It's moving, it's moving forward, moving beyond it. And, you know, in our terms, moving your life towards a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others, a life that's focused on other people, a higher cause, a higher purpose. It's using your crucible to fuel a passion for a vision that you never had before. It's right. um, you know, it's making something beautiful out of something that's that's awful. I mean, Craig was remarkable in that as we recounted what we'd seen with our guests on resilience or indeed pretty much every guest we've had in the whole series of Beyond the Crucible, he was able to say what we have experienced anecdotally through our own lives and other people. He said the science supports this. Uh, so, and just in, the, in terms of how important it is to have you know, a strong uh, mindset to reframe what you went through to see what you went through as a gift or a blessing. All these things he said, the science supports that in terms of how you get back from a devastating experience. is just that sense of reframing it and seeing, making meaning and purpose of the devastating crucible you went through is absolutely crucial. So it, it was so affirming to hear that the science supports, it was really the perfect capstone to the series because the science supports what the rest of the folks that have been on this series have said. 
So it's right. not just it's it, it's not just good for them; it's good for all human beings. Uh, you know what was what he was saying? It was so encouraging. And he said a couple of things that um, to talk about baseline, right? Where we're at right now, our baselines. Where right now, I'm not facing any big crucibles. I'm at baseline. Um, he said this, and we didn't get to talk about this before we uh, or started recording because I just sort of listened to and processed through the episode. He says this in the episode: We as human beings are far more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. That heartens me. Um, that is a, um, you know, to know that at baseline, as he describes it, we're more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. That's an important thing to kind of take and tuck into our pocket, isn't it? It really is. I mean, just um, the human beings have a capacity for resilience. You know, it's just um, unthinkable. I mean, I just think of um, the, the woman who sailed around Antarctica, uh, Lisa, Lisa Blair. Lisa Blair, yep. Yeah, yeah. Australian, Australian, look at that. You know, (laughs) she's, I mean, those are the toughest waters in the world. I don't know if it's 100 foot waves, 50 foot. She's in a sailboat trying to be the first woman to circumnavigate Antarctica. I mean, there were so many days, and she's a seasoned sailor when she just wanted to give up. But somehow amidst, you know, the worst weather in the world, freezing sub-zero temperatures, she kept going one more hour one more day, one more step. Now, how is that possible for a human being? And she would say to to anybody, she's not a remarkable person, she would say. She'd say she's not right. big in stature. She's not particularly athletic. She's not the superhuman person. She would consider herself unremarkable athletically is how she would view herself. So, you know, it's most of us would say, oh, we could never be Lisa Blair and do that. Oh, there's no way. But the human spirit is remarkably more resilient than than we think. And so what uh, Craig Dowden said is, is profoundly true. And I think all our guests on the series and indeed on the podcast in general bear that out. They've accomplished things. If you said to them before, do you think this was possible? They'd say, I- I'm not sure. I don't think so. But they did. Yeah. And uh, he said something also that that I think is a great bookend to what we said, uh, what we talked about Lucy Westlake saying, Lucy Westlake's definition when you asked her, how would you define resilience? And she said, try something. Yeah. It's all about trying something. Craig Dowden talked about the opposite of that, the, the negative of that, the reverse of that, the dark side of that. And that is avoidance is a roadblock to resilience, not doing something, being too afraid or too timid. Resilience is a skill, right? That we can grow. Well, if we're avoiding something, we're not, it's just like being afraid to go to the gym or jump on the treadmill and, oh, I don't want to raise the the speed of my treadmill because, you know, what's going to happen if it breaks or I fall off or what? what, Are we going to enhance our cardiovascular health? Well, we're only going to stay at that level. So what's essential is we have to put these things in practice. So I love the linkage you're making because if we avoid it, we're not doing anything about it. So we're missing an opportunity to be resilient. To me, that inspires me to dismiss avoidance. It, it, it inspires me to follow Lucy, not the warning that Craig gives us that avoidance is a roadblock to resilience. Yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the most profound things for me, or certainly, you know, it's up there in the top few, and it's hard to separate because they're all so profound, what we heard from our guests. But you know, avoidance is really the dark side. It's it's the opposite of resilience. 
And avoidance can take many forms. It was like, I'm going to be angry and bitter about what they did to me. It was so unfair. I'm going to be angry at myself. In my case, I was an idiot. How could I do what I did with the takeover? Um, and there was probably a few other people I could have been angry about if I really wanted to go there. But, you know, anger is a certainly avoidance. Not admitting your own mistakes is avoidance. Um, not saying, okay, I've got to accept what I went through, but how can I bounce back? How can I use this in the service of others? So avoidance means taking no steps, doing nothing, feel angry and bitter, hiding under the covers until life somehow melts away. That's right. avoidance. Avoidance equals uh, misery uh, and agony for potentially decades. That's what avoidance means. And so you don't want to you don't want to be in that place. And typically, when you go through a crucible, you do have a binary choice: it's avoidance, pain, and misery, or it's not acceptance of or condoning of what happened to you, but uh, accept that what happened happened. And then how can I use this to bounce back, maybe even bounce back further, as we heard, in service of others? And that's the path of resilience and joy and fulfillment. So really, Craig's statement about avoidance as a roadblock to resilience, it really indicates two paths. You know, agony, defeat, and misery, or joy, fulfillment, and significance. Mm. And typically, when you go through a crucible, those are the two paths. There's typically not any other path. That's one of the strange blessings of a crucible. Just living the same old, same old life, that's not a choice that exists for most people. Now, I almost feel like I should just end the show now because that was a beautiful way to end. But I want you as the host of the show, and not just the host of the show, Warwick, but as the, as the creator of Crucible Leadership, as the man who wrote Crucible Leadership out October 19th, who who has been who has been offering hope and healing to people that th they can overcome their setbacks and failures we're more than our setbacks and failures this idea of harnessing resilience is so critical to that what's your biggest takeaway final word encouragement what do you want to leave listeners who've spent the last 6 weeks with us in this series what do you want to leave them with as we uh, as we wave goodbye to the series i would say you know, you and your life are not defined by your worst day, your mo your worst moment. It's incredibly painful if today is that day. It's hard to believe that tomorrow will ever exist because all you can think of is agony. And in my own way, and I guess of all encourages, you know, you can't compare crucibles. Many guests, including um, David Charbonnet, that was um, a Navy SEAL, was paralyzed in a training accident. He said this, you know, your your worst day is your worst, your worst day. It's not a competition. But, you know, just this notion that you're not defined by that worst day, that there is hope if you just take steps of resilience, try things, be willing to fail, that life can get better. Even in the darkest of pits, there is hope. And all of these guests bounce back from extremely difficult uh crucibles, as have all our guests on the podcast. So even in the darkest of times, remember there is hope. And the key is resilience and being willing to fail and be willing to take one positive step. Yes, get help, dig deep, but you know, don't avoid don't avoid what happened. Lean in and and be willing to take one positive step forward, because one positive step forward leads to another. 
and eventually it can lead to a life of significance if you're willing to take that first step forward out of you know, from your crucible. That, listener, is a mic drop moment. It wasn't actually a mic. It was the case for my earbuds because my <laughs> mic is more expensive. But that is the end of our series, Harnessing Resilience. Thank you for spending the last six weeks in this focused study of something that's so critical to coming not just back from our crucibles, but moving beyond our crucibles. Not just coming back to baseline, but setting course for that life of significance that Warwick talks about. So until the next time when we're together, uh, remember your crucible experience is painful, but it's not the end of your story. In fact, it can be the beginning, often is the beginning of a brand new story that can be the best story of your life because it leads, as Warwick said, to a life of significance. I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy, and this is why I switched to Shopify. I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. Shopify made it really easy for me to shift everything over and hit the ground running. I was able to migrate my products and all of my customer information over. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Go to shopify.com slash listen to take your business to the next level today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.